0: Hello, and welcome to this next installment of uh, talking about some of the challenges that we see on active shooter incidents. Today, we are gonna talk about casualty collection points. Uh, My name is Bill Godfrey, uh, retired fire chief and one of the instructors at C3 Pathways. I have with me part of the uh, instructor cadre team, Adam Penley, assistant chief with Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. We've got Travis Cox, Lieutenant from Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. Kevin Byrd, Lieutenant with the Hunterton County uh, Prosecutor's Office. Uh, All three of them are law enforcement, obviously. And then also with me, we've got Robert Lee, retired Battalion Chief, Paramedic. uh, And Tom Billington, also retired Fire Chief and uh, Paramedic. Welcome, guys. Uh, Thanks for taking the time this afternoon to, to talk about this. So the subject today is Casualty Collection Points and uh, some of the challenges uh, what makes a good uh, casualty collection point um, what doesn't how do we manage them how do we work it together how do we deal with some of the law enforcement issues and then some of the ems issues Uh, adam you want to kind of set the stage for us on on what we're talking about uh, as we move into uh, a building Uh, you make entry we've uh um, you know, presumably dealt with the threat, or there's a team in process of dealing with the threat. Uh, but the first ones through the door are going to be law enforcement, uh, law enforcement officers, and some element of a contact team. It may just be uh, two or three guys, or it may be four or five. But uh, set the stage for us of what this looks like uh, as the as the contact teams are working in the building and making a decision about uh, where they're going to set up a casual collection point, what they're going to pick.
1: Sure. I think we're all familiar from the law enforcement perspective that there's this push towards dealing with the threat, stop the killing. But along the way, those first contact teams are going to identify areas where there are casualties, where there are injured folks that need to be cared for. And it becomes important to, whether it's the initial contact team that that is no longer being driven uh, by some sort of move towards the threat that they have to make a decision to go ahead and establish a casualty collection point or communicate that there's injured in a particular place and a follow-on team is going to establish a casualty collection point so you can quickly or simultaneously both deal with the threat and start worrying about your second priority which is the rescue dealing with those folks that are bleeding and need immediate care so i think it's important for law enforcement to understand that they're that initial team that is going to establish a casualty collection point so you can make it to your to your next priority and i think kevin can probably talk a little bit about what that team is going to do when they enter a room that has a number of casualties in it that we need to to move towards
2: okay so once we've identified an an area where we may have multiple casualties regardless of the tactics that are used to, to enter that room, once we get into that room, we want to establish points of domination. So Bill mentioned we may only have two or three officers, maybe we have four or five at this point, but once we enter that room, we wanna have points of domination so we can put folks that are in that room in a, uh, an area that's tactically advantageous to us. What we're trying to look to establish is obviously securing that room. And also looking at, is this room advantageous to us where we can eventually set up an ambulance exchange point? So maybe that room, if it happens to have uh, exit doors or an exit door, someplace where we can eventually get to to push those patients out, uh, move those patients out, we want to make sure that we've secured that entire area. So if we have multiple casualties in that room, uh, we're going to put them in an area where there's no issues from the law enforcement side in that we could be putting them in a position where we could have crossfire issues, where it may be near an exit door where they could possibly get away from us because we have to identify who they are uh, first and foremost. One of the important things to remember too is once we establish those points of domination, we have to control and secure that room and make it defensible because others will be coming in eventually to, to provide assistance. When you're in that room and you're in that area, a couple things you want to be cognizant of is uh, what could be used against us, if you will. If there are areas where we can't uh, secure that area, we may have to look at collapsing uh, other casualties that are room into our area or possibly setting up secondary uh, casualty collection points. But primarily the first room we go into if we have uh, several of the casualties or a majority of the casualties there we want to establish those points of domination make sure that we have enough resources there we may be calling out requesting additional resources because we want to secure that area so any follow-on resources that come in to assist us uh, it's it's completely secured so in dealing with the casualties themselves
3: i think travis you can touch in on that absolutely so one of the responsibilities of law enforcement inside a casualty collection point is to do some type of triage of the victims or patients that are inside that room so one way the law enforcement can do that very rapidly is basically by addressing the folks that are inside that room and asking those that can move ask them to move to one side of the room against the wall and once you have that one group against the wall you still may have some people that are injured that can't move they'll still be on the floor obviously you're going to use good law enforcement commands tell them to keep their hands where they can be visible for all law enforcement to see but you want them to move against one wall and then once you separate that group you have one group on the ground still and you have one group against the wall and then once you have that group against the wall you're going to give a second command to say those that are standing against the wall if you're not injured you've not been hurt in any way move to a, a separate wall a second wall and so now you basically separate that room into three groups you have injured folks that are on the ground that could not move you have a second group that did move but they're injured and they're standing on one wall and then you have a third group that has moved to a second wall but they're uninjured you have now did a a quick triage of that room so you can call those folks using the medical terms of the reds which means people that are injured that could not move you're going to classify them as a red patient those people that are injured but can move also known as a walking wounded those would be your green patients and then your uninjured folks that you would not assign them a color they're just people that have been involved in the incident and they have no injuries so you've separated the people in your room into three different groups and that's a quick way that you as a law enforcement officer can triage your room and help you manage that room until your medical counterparts arrive. So let me kind of summarize and see if I've got this right on what you're saying. So you
0: you identify the room that you wanna use or the room that you're gonna make entry to. You use some tactics depending on their training, or, you know, local policy to, to do their room entry. I guess the numbers of the team are, affect that as well. Uh, they get in the room, uh, they look to control, take control of the crowd, take control of the people that are in the room. Um, get them up against a wall, the ones that can um, screen off the ones that aren't injured so that you've got um, the the uninjured that can't move that are on the ground, we call those the reds. the injured that are up against the wall that move, those are the greens. The uninjured are on another wall. And then you're what Kevin was talking about, the points of domination to get to post your people up where you could control the room, control access to the room, and basically have that be, um, a safe may be the wrong word, but a reasonably safe room to work in a- am i am I describing that right? Did I miss anything
3: yes you 're describing it perfectly. Um, what this allows you to do is you can then identify people that may need medical treatment right away, and as law enforcement officers if we have security measures in place in that room, we then can begin doing some of those life safety measures on those folks that are injured and cannot move. So this is our opportunity to start that life safety, those life safety measures until our medical counterparts arrive.
0: So if you've got a team of four or five officers, a couple of them can hold security and a couple of them can start getting into the medical care, try to do some life saving stuff?
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, That's one of the things that we're there for. Uh, Obviously, we know there's a threat in the building. Once we address that threat, our next priority is to start addressing those injured patients or those injured victims inside this crisis site. So,
1: and I think it's worth adding that it's really not that different than typical level one training that law enforcement has received all over the country. We know that if we address a threat in a room, that is as soon as that threat is neutralized you go into a sim a security immediate action plan and medical well a team that that may be assigned just to go to a casualty collection point and secure a casualty collection point is also putting together a sim they they get security of the room they put an immediate action plan together as far as How they're going to deal with additional injured, how they're going to sort the room, where they're going to evacuate patients from, what additional resources they need, and then they start addressing the medical. So a team that may not have addressed the threat, they may just be a follow-on team that's assigned to deal with casualties in a particular area, they're going to put together a sim for that room as well. Security, immediate action, and
3: medical. Let me add one more thing to that, Adam. One of the critical things that those law enforcement officers are gonna do when they do triage that room in that manner is it allows them to give the number of the and the type of number of injured folks that they have to the tactical person or that person that's on the outside is setting up the management aspect of an active shooter response. So by doing these things, we can let tactical know, hey, we have this many injured, this is the, uh, how critically are they injured and it gives them information to know how many rescue task forces we may need, how many medical personnel we're gonna need, how many rescue units or ambulances we're gonna need based on what we're seeing inside the crisis site.
0: So that provides us an interesting transition point to talk about it. So once you kind of get all that stuff set, you call out the tactical and you you say, okay, we're we're ready for a rescue task force. Um, So at this point, we've we've got a law enforcement team that's inside they've secured the room they've got a casualty collection point if they've got enough numbers to hold security and do medical they've started that we've called tactical to say you know here's what we've got our location and numbers uh, we need a rescue task force so then the rtf uh goes down range uh, so tom and and, and robert uh, talk a little bit about what that that first rtf through the door that that's that's going to dump into that casualty collection point what are their responsibilities? What, what do they need to do when they walk into this room full of injured? Uh, take us through that and
4: paint the picture. Okay, well, piggybacking off what my law enforcement counterparts uh, have said, right off the bat, they've painted a picture for me as an RTF. Before I even get into the room, I know kind of what I'm going to be seeing. So if there's more than three patients, I know right off the bat, I'm gonna need another RTF or maybe two or three more RTFs to help me. When I enter the room with my security contingent, it sounds like, uh, as Travis said, I'm gonna have personnel that are green in one area that are standing or walking wounded, and then I'll have the other patients that are more severely injured. Since we are the first RTF, we cannot use tunnel vision. We have to get in there and start sorting and arranging You know which uh, patients need to be treated, do some quick interventions while we can, some life-saving interventions, and then make sure we're setting up the room for the uh, next RTFs to come in. The first RTF, when you get in there, if possible, you want to stay in there and kind of control the room and work with the law enforcement counterparts. That way you have one person familiar with how the room is working and, and uh, what patients need to be transported and et cetera. Robert, what do you think?
0: Yeah, what are, Robert, what are some of the challenges that you see uh, the RTF teams running into and in the mindsets? What are the, what are the things that people need to be prepared for? Well, the first thing
5: is we got to make sure that our folks don't get the tunnel vision like Tom said and concentrate on one patient. We need to scan the room, uh, those critically injured that we call REDS. Um, We need to assess them, start to treat them, and prioritize them according to uh, the severity and which ones need to be transported. Priority opposed to the other one. So that makes sure we get the patients that need the care the soonest to the hospital first. So uh, one of the things that a lot of... RTFs tend to do is they find a patient that's critical and they start providing that care and they don't focus on the the big picture, the whole room and all the patients that we have. So when the other RTFs come in, those patients that we've identified as priority, uh, we can start providing that care right off the bat and get them ready
0: for transport. So the coordination piece of it is huge for that first RTF coming through the door. And and when they – so I I guess from what you're saying, uh, one of the first things we want to see that RTF uh, do – is to re-triage these patients. I mean, law enforcement presumably has done a, a dirty red-green split just to give us a sense of the bigger picture numbers, um, but we need to re-triage them and, and, and is start enough or does it need to be more than start triage? And what does that assessment look like that needs to that needs to go on there from the rescue task force? Yeah, we
5: need to concentrate on making sure we're doing a full assessment of these patients uh, once the manpower is in the room and uh, we've identified who we need to start with first that full assessment is important instead of just doing a um, the triage itself and maybe just a quick treatment um, we need to do a full assessment of them like we would anybody else
0: Yeah, and I know, Tom, we've talked many, many times in a lot of the classes we've taught where, um, you know, the the start triage is used. And and I don't know about you, but I I certainly seem to have run across a a lot of uh, active duty folks in the EMS community that kind of feel like that um, I get the sense that they don't realize that they need to do more than start. You know, they they think the Greens can sit and wait for an hour. Um, it, It. Tom can talk a little bit about some of the challenges in dealing with the severity and the different color groups um, prioritizing uh, the the exfil to, uh, you know, who's gonna go first, um, the mix of severities and, and the implications for that for our ambulance loading.
4: Well, in this situation, we're dealing with trauma, gunshots usually, and so right off the bat, we need to decide which gunshots need surgical intervention as soon as possible. And so we need to be able to decide which patients we, we want to treat and transport first. Uh, the other issue is making sure that although some patients may be listed as green, remember that may change. The numbers will continually change, and so the main thing is just making sure you're communicating with uh, triage is about you know what hospitals you're going to utilize, what care various patients are going to need, uh, you know ver- a chest wound versus a head wound, depending on the facilities you have and being able to cordon those patients out accordingly so one of the
0: things that i hear our tactical and triage and transport group supervisors talk about frequently in the scenarios that we run uh, is their frustration that they don't feel like the rtfs necessarily are giving them the information they need they're not very quick to relay it to them how many reds yellows and greens they have um, you know, how many black tags. And again, it is, it is difficult with a, a moving target because the numbers, as you begin to move patients out to transport, law enforcement may be bringing some additional patients in. You may have a green that goes to a yellow or a yellow that goes to a red. It is going to be a moving thing. What is the best practice for RTFs? What should we be expecting from the RTFs in terms of keeping triage informed? Uh, of the numbers. When when do they do that and how often do they need to redo that?
4: Well obviously when we get into the room we want to uh, double check on the counts that law enforcement gave us and then do a thorough triage again and make sure they're color-coded correctly. That would be a good time to let triage know what we have and what uh, color tag uh, patients we have. Again remembering that by the time they get to the ambulance uh, the ambulance may have to change those uh, color tags with transportation, so transportation will get a good number at the end. But again, just keeping uh, the number as, fl- as fluid as possible, keep getting the information going. And again, that's another reason why the first RTF in the room may want to be the primary room proctor, stay there, and be able to monitor the patients as they change and uh, add numbers or change numbers accordingly. So tagging on to what uh,
0: you're saying about that, Tom, the uh, uh, one of the things that we talk about in class sometimes is the field triage score, which of course was a, a triage system uh, validated in a military study. Basically, it has two measurement points. Uh, you check the radial pulse. If it's present and it's normal, they get one point. Uh, if it's absent, it's weak, uh, thready, tachycardic, they get zero. Uh, Then you check your Glasgow motor score, not the whole GCS scale, just the motor score. Basically, do they obey commands? If they obey commands, they get one point. Uh, If they don't obey commands or unable, then they get zero. You add it together, zero, one, two, red, yellow, green. Uh, It's a nice, simple system. Again, validated uh, in a a military study, Uh, gives us some sense that it's a a good, quick, easy way uh, to get a good triage of of the patients that we're moving. we get these patients packaged up. Let's assume that we've got more patients than one RTF is gonna handle. And we've got two or three other RTFs that are coming into the room. What role, Tom, does the, does the first RTF need to take on uh, in relation to the other ones coming in? Or is it just a free
4: for all, they all come in and take their own patient? No, as I discussed earlier, that first RTF is sort of the lead and hopefully they will be staying there for the duration. When the next RTF comes in, that lead wants to look at the RTF leader, the medical leader and say, you two, go over there, you have this, you have that, you have a red, you have this injury, take care of that. And the next RTF comes in, same thing. So you're kind of coordinating the whole operation. Again making sure that if it's a red, which red do you want treated first? Which one needs that surgical intervention? And so again, being in charge of that room and being able to direct the medical resources when they come is is imperative so we get them lined up um we know who's
0: gonna you know who's gonna go first we uh kind of lay them out in order in the room um and then we've got to coordinate the evacuation over to the ambulance exchange point of course the the challenge there is is we want to get the ambulance as close as we possibly can but that kind of creates some security issues for it uh doesn't it what's what, what are we so we're back over to the law enforcement side of this and having to kind of coordinate our, our movements and behavior. What, is, what does that look like when we say, hey, we wanna use this, uh, this exit door over here that goes right out to the parking lot as our ambulance exchange point?
1: well i think it's important to keep in mind that there's a security element with the rtfs and and they remain there the whole time and again their their first priority is to provide that security element uh for the folks that are doing the medical care but they also have communication with tactical so if there is a particular door that based on its location looks like that it would lead out to a uh, to a, a good ambulance exchange point the security element can communicate with tactical and make sure that that area is secure so you can use that space efficiently but i also feel like it's important to remember that if the security element of the room is is doing its job and there are extra law enforcement resources available so much of law enforcement across the country has received additional training on on some direct threat care and may be able to assist with with the medical element as well. So there's a lot of resources in that room, but everyone has to realize that it is an integrated cooperative response to make sure that that the room is sorted, that the room is triaged, and that medical care is happening. And when the RTFs are ready, that secured ambulance exchange points are happening. It, it's, a, it's kind of a continuum of care that starts from the point at which law enforcement initially makes entry into that room, sorts the room, communicates to tactical and triage the numbers that they have. RTFs are brought into the room to start the medical care and then continuing with law enforcement. There's a there's a, a good security element to, to move them out to an ex- ambulance exchange point that would also uh, coordinate with Transport that's there with triage and tactical, so ambulances can come downrange and get people to the hospital as quickly as possible.
4: And if I could add to what Adam said, which is very important, you know, a lot of us in emergency services and law enforcement, we have the, you know, we have that built-up immunity where we try not to get too involved. And there's people bleeding around us, and so sometimes we have to step over them. But when the killing is stopped, stopping the dying is so important. And law enforcement can save so many lives and help with the medical, as far as just putting that a tourniquet on and just getting the uh, position where the patient can breathe just until they get more intervention. So a lot more lives can be, say, working together. Adam, good point.
0: Yeah, so we, we get them packaged up. We figured out where we're going to do our ambulance exchange point. Um, you know, and assuming that you're spread too thin on the inside, uh, who's, who's going to take care of getting security over the ambulance exchange point? What is, how, does, how does that play out?
3: Well, one of the things that needs to happen is there needs to be good communication to whoever that medical leader on that rescue task force is, speaking with the law enforcement element within that task force. So that medical person needs to give a heads up to the law enforcement counterpart. Hey, we'll be ready to move in two to three minutes. That's the cue for law enforcement to start communicating with Tactical, who's managing everything moving in the warm zone, to start setting up that security perimeter around where the analyst exchange point's going to be again also that law enforcement security personnel on the inside needs to request the location from tactical because the location that they want to use as the ambulance ambulance exchange point may not be the most optimal spot based on the information that tactical has so if the place where the rescue responders on the inside want to use as an ambulance exchange point is a viable location then they'll set up security there but if not they may have to reroute them they may have to go to a different location for reasons not known to them
0: so kevin uh paint the picture on the tactical side Uh, you know let's say we're we're dealing with a school two three-story building uh we're going to use an exit door uh on the rear side Uh, of the school, what does that that contact team that gets sent to secure the ambulance exchange point, what do we want them to do? What do they need to be looking for?
2: Um, What's their job? What does that look like? Really what we're looking for, again, just like the room management part, the room security part is to provide almost like a security bubble, if you will, outside that door where we've determined this is gonna be the ambulance exchange point. And we're looking for that 360 or 540 degree coverage and want to ensure that we have uh, unimpeded uh, egress for the ambulances to get into that location. And it almost has to be a, a ballet act, if you will. We are looking for communication coming from the RTF or the, 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 uh, the medical team leader that, hey, we're ready to move patients in two or three minutes. The law enforcement counterparts are ensuring that, hey, we've got security at the ambulance exchange point. We don't wanna put uh, the, uh, the casualties out in an area where they're waiting you know for an extended period of time for those ambulances to come. So we want it like that, that ballet uh, act, if you will. The RTFs are moving the patients down to that ambulance exchange point. Security is making sure that, hey, it's safe to come outside. The ambulance at the same time is, is coming up and it's a coordinated effort between all the disciplines to get the patients onto that ambulance as quickly as possible, as safely and securely as possible and off to uh, more advanced medical care.
0: You know, it's interesting. I think your your comment about it being a ballet is, is really an appropriate, um, way to think of this. It's it's very much an integrated piece on how we all have to work together. Law enforcement has that initial role to kind of get control of the room, uh, set up the security, do some initial, uh, initial triage, even if it's just a gross triage, to split the room between the walking wounded injured and the ones that can't move. Um, make it a warm zone so that we can get a rescue task force in. They can come in and retriage, do some uh, whatever emergent, advanced stabilizing care they need to, uh, and then coordinate a place that the ambulances are gonna come pick them up. It it is very much a ballet, but the the winning part of that is we take time off the clock. Um, It saves time, and that's our goal, um, is not just to put the bad guy down quickly, but also to take time off that clock for the people that have been shot and bleeding and get them into a the back of an ambulance faster. Um, so I, I, I love your analogy of the of the ballet. And I think um, like this, if you practice and train it and beautifully orchestrate it, it is something that can really make a difference and save lives. Well, guys, thank you. I think you really did a nice job of painting the picture for the process of a CCP and kind of crossing over the other disciplines. Thanks for taking the time this afternoon. Um, take care, and we will talk to you all soon.